And that is so exciting because it means that anyone can start producing great audio, can publish it if they want to using Anchor or Red Circle onto places like Apple Podcasts and be next to big shows like yours, Jeff, big shows like Joe Rogan and Call Her Daddy and all of that kind of stuff. And that is an opportunity that was not afforded to me 30 years ago. That was radio industry expert James Cridland speaking about the many opportunities that are available for content creators due to the amazing advances in technology in recent times. The radio industry's global trends, opportunities, and the future, and how you might capitalize on those will again be our focus in part two of this Looking Forward series. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we're again going to focus on a communications medium that exists just about everywhere around the world, radio. In part one of this two-part series, episode number 77, we looked at how radio has changed over the years. We explored how people in different parts of the world listen to their radios, and we examined how COVID-19 has affected radio production and listening habits. Today, in part two, episode number 78, we're going to learn about such things as podcasting and the Internet's impact on the radio industry, how radio in the United States differs from radio elsewhere, and where radio's future lies. Perhaps most importantly, you'll want to hear about where our guest expert sees opportunities in the radio industry over the next several years. And who is our guest expert? Well, if you've already listened to episode number 77, you'll definitely recognize the voice and British accent of James Cridland. Along with being the editor of Pod News, a daily podcast newsletter, James Cridland is a radio futurologist, a writer, consultant, and public speaker on radio's future. James has worked in radio and audio since 1989 as an award-winning copywriter, radio presenter, and internet strategist. He launched the world's first streaming radio smartphone app in March 2005 for the original Virgin Radio in London, launching daily podcasts earlier that year. In 2007, James joined the BBC working on the BBC iPlayer for radio, achieving a dramatic increase in the service's audio quality. James was one of the organizers of Next Radio, the UK Radio Ideas Conference. He has worked with the world's largest radio conference, Radio Days Europe, since its inception, a founder of the hybrid radio technology association, Radio DNS. James is an associate member of the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. Born in the UK, James lives in Brisbane, Australia with his partner and daughter. James, now I'm going to play to you two of probably your many areas of expertise. Uh-oh. Just two of them, though. <laughs> you know as well as anybody, James, that there's a lot being said about how radio and podcasting are competing with one another and that podcasting may, in fact, be overtaking radio in usage and popularity. What do you think about all that? 
Uh, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Podcasting mm. is still quite small. So there are two really important measures here. One measure is the reach, the amount of people who you reach with a particular media. And radio, as, as, I, as we've said repeatedly, nine out of 10 people consume radio every single month. If you're looking at podcasting, it's about 36% in the US right now. Mm. So 36% is nowhere near as high as 90% for radio. So you can see that actually podcasting is already smaller in terms of reach. And it's significantly smaller in terms of total time spent with the medium. And total time spent is where the money comes from. I remember seeing some data from Norway. Norway has much the same podcast listening, slightly higher than the US. But in terms of time spent listening, then a typical Norwegian will spend around 45 minutes a day listening to the radio. And a typical Norwegian will spend 12 minutes a day listening to podcasts. So you can see, again, that there is a big difference. Yes, podcasting is growing, and it's growing particularly strongly, and it's very exciting to be in a medium which is growing nicely. But radio is so, so much bigger. 15 times the amount of revenue comes into radio even now that actually any talk about radio dying and podcasting you know, overtaking it is um, quite premature. Wow, that's fascinating to hear you say that. Podcasting still has a long way to go to yeah. overtake radio. And, and by the way, that's not being denigratory at all to podcasting. In fact, I think, if anything, this is a tremendous thing because we think of podcasting as being so large. But actually, wow, you know, podcasting could easily be 10 times larger in terms of consumption. It could easily be doing so much more in terms of um, total hours and therefore total revenue. So I think that's really exciting. It's a really exciting uh, uh, step for where we are in the podcast industry. But I think that the radio industry is probably a little bit fed up of hearing people getting so excited about podcasting when there it is, good old fashioned reliable radio <laughs> does so, so much better. James. Where would internet FM radio fit into this? It's clearly considered radio, but it's on the internet. Is that part of that newer class of radio? There's two different sort of versions of that. So there's online radio that, you know, it sounds as if it's a normal FM station, but it happens to be on the internet. So simulcast radio such as uh, that. And then there are these newer radio stations which are only available on the internet. There's a radio station that comes out of San Francisco called Soma FM, which has been going for many, many years. That has never, as far as I'm aware, had an FM license. It's always been just purely an online station. But many people tune into it in that way. I think what we're seeing now, though, is we're seeing radio stations which have a transmitter somewhere but which are using the internet to expand the amount of coverage that they have and to reach more people. You're a perfect person to ask this because you're a radio futurologist and you're the only radio futurologist, I can't even say it, you're the only <laughs> radio futurologist that I know. Maybe you're the only one because other people have a hard time pronouncing futurologist as well. I don't know. But, I mean, it is a made-up word, so it's probably, <laughs> probably one of the reasons. 
There is one more radio futurologist okay. uh, I discover. is a guy in Ghana who went to some radio training that I did and liked the phrase radio futurologist so much that he made himself one as well. <laughs> you have competition, yeah. James. You now have competition. I think that's exactly it, which is a worry, isn't it? But um, yeah, but I, I think, you know, looking at where radio and the internet collides, looking at where the future might be headed is certainly something which I've been doing for quite some time. Yeah. So in terms of radio, where do you see it potentially going over the next several years? What trends in terms of content, distribution, ownership, listenership, advertising, well, I think uh, a few things. I think the North American radio market, because it defines radio as being AM/FM, is in decline. And whenever you look at the figures, I think it's interesting to see what iHeart have done. They have split their company into two internal portions. They've essentially got iHeart New and Exciting and iHeart Old and Boring. And <laughs> iHeart Old and Boring are, are the, those are not the official names, but um, okay. iHeart Old and Boring is the bit <laughs> of the company that runs the transmitters and the radio stations and etc cetera, etc cetera. and iheart new and exciting is the app and you know all of the podcasts and all of the on demand content and and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and you can very clearly see what's going to happen there you can see that the old and boring stuff which by the way still brings in the most amount of of revenue by far the old and boring stuff is going to be a management of decline it's going to be making sure that um, the company uh, keeps their assets intact when they are making money, but they can divest those assets when they no longer make any money. Whereas you've got the new exciting world of on-demand and IP-connected media and all of that kind of uh, stuff in its own separate section. And I think that's a very bright and clever thing for a company to end up doing. And I think that's probably a good sort of signpost for where the future might be. That said, in Europe, radio is still growing financially, possibly because radio has a more inclusive definition in Europe, possibly because there's uh, DAB broadcasting, which essentially means three times the amount of radio stations that are available to a typical audience member. So therefore, you know, uh, three times the amount of choice. So what we're very much seeing in Europe is a continued growth in terms of revenue, uh, in terms of uh, audience, that kind of thing. So I think we, we may well see a mixed future in terms of North America, both Canada and the US, managing that decline and hopefully that not rubbing too much off on the big tech companies. Whereas in Europe, I think radio is continuing to show that it can be a very vibrant medium. I think because European radio is better resourced and has focused a little bit more on the future rather than on the near-term pressures that being a stock-listed company gives you. And it's no uh, accident, I think, that in most of Europe, 50% plus of the market is run by public broadcasters. So that's not public broadcasters in the US sense where the public pay every so often in a revenue drive. It's publicly funding in terms of it gets money from the government either directly or indirectly. And that essentially allows you to invest in the radio industry for its long-term future rather than worrying what you're going to tell your investors in the next quarterly financial report. 
for example, in the UK, you have the BBC, which has a 50% market share, which is paid for by a, uh, a licence fee, so it's uh, indirectly from the government. You've then got Bauer and Global, which are the two big broadcasters, commercial broadcasters in the UK. Both of those are private companies. Bauer owned by a German company and uh, Global owned by uh, a UK company, but they're both private. So they don't have that desperate rush to show increases of, on MAUs and, you know, and blah, 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 and all of the EBITDA conversations that you end up having in financial reports. And I think that's been a great benefit to that market. And, uh, you know, frankly, it's a great benefit to any company. I run a private company. It's a great benefit to any company where you don't have yeah. to explain yourself to investors <laughs> every three months. So I wonder whether sure. part of radio's troubles in Canada and in the US are due to the fact that uh, it's all public, you know, stock market stuff. Uh, Canada has its own issues. I used to work for a Canadian broadcaster, and it, it most definitely has its own issues in terms of uh, regulation as well. And the, um, the CRTC, the broadcast regulator in Canada, is very fierce in terms of what you can and can't do on the air and what you can and can't do even in in terms of a format, you know, so hopefully the CRTC will start to relax some of those regulations if it wants to keep a healthy Canadian radio industry. I have a horrible feeling that it may not. So, so I mean, I think I think that's in terms of the financial side of radio. And as I say, I think what we are seeing is we are seeing, in terms of consumption, we're seeing younger audiences prefer on-demand media much more. Older audiences are quite happy with the radio, but eventually those people will die. And young yeah. people don't seem to be changing their habits as they grow older. So my suspicion is, you know, we will see more on-demand content. We will see more focus on what uh, iHeartRadio has done, what the BBC has done, what Odyssey, um, the company that used to be called Entercom, are doing yes. in terms of focusing on making a large amount of content which can be monetized, which can, yes, be broadcast on a radio station, but which can also be available for on-demand as well. So I, I suspect that we'll see an awful lot more of that happening in the future. Wow. So big changes have started, and they are likely to continue for a while. James, the other aspect of looking forward, of course, is the positive connotation of looking forward. Mm. And when we're looking forward, we're looking forward to opportunities. And as you think about the industry and how you see it evolving, we've talked about this in the past, that a lot of people are still struggling to find work because they've lost their jobs. I hear more and more about people just quitting their jobs. They may be studying something else or just sitting it out and looking for what might make the most sense for them. Then you have students in school trying to figure out what to do, always entrepreneurs looking for opportunities, investors. Where do you see opportunities for any of these different kinds of people, James, in radio? I think if you are in radio these days, and I do the occasional lectures at the University of South Queensland about where radio is headed to mm. young people who are tremendously excited. But I think that um, a lot of that is around making great audio. And that's audio that works everywhere. Audio that works on demand, audio that works on air. 
and all of that side. But what I would also say is that the opportunities are really there for people who are hungry to learn and hungry to multitask. One of the things that uh, radio has taught us, I think, is when I started in the business 30 years ago, because the technology wasn't really there, you ended up doing an awful lot of repetitive stuff over and over and over again. You know, one of the first tasks that I had was reclaiming tape. So, you know, magnetic tape, you would um, go through all of the bits of magnetic tape that the journalists had used and you would work out which bits could be salvaged and used to record something else on and which bits had been, you know, chopped up too many times to be reused and all this kind of uh, stuff. And obviously, you know, and raising carts and all of this stuff that nobody needs to do these days. You don't have to have human beings <laughs> cutting up bits of bits of tape. And so all of that kind of thing has all gone. When I was on, on the radio, it was a very physical job of running around, finding the next commercial stop set, finding all of the different carts to play in the cart machines, you know, the different spots that you would hear, finding another piece of vinyl to cue that up and putting the needle on the record in exactly the right place and all of this type of thing. Now, if you're a radio presenter, you are literally pressing a big button that says the word next on it. And that is what your job is. Your job is to sparkle and entertain people. But from a technical point of view, there is much less of that choreography and technical skill that you need. It's much more around storytelling. But what that also comes with is it comes with things like social media and learning how to use that, learning how to, you know, how to connect with your audiences in other ways. And so I think there are tremendous opportunities. And the other thing that I always tell students is... I used to go into the radio station at 10 o'clock at night because I knew that that is when I could get into a studio and record stuff and play around and make sound. And now, of course, anyone can edit audio on their laptops, yes. even if you own a Chromebook. But you can install <laughs> Audacity on there and away you go. And you can create great audio on that without having to book time in a very expensive downtown facility and be trained up to use all of the technology and everything else and that is so exciting because it means that anyone can start producing great audio can publish it if they want to using anchor or red circle onto places like apple podcasts and be next to big shows like yours jeff big shows like joe rogan and call her daddy and all of that kind of stuff and that is an opportunity that was not afforded to me 30 years ago. And that is a astounding opportunity that anyone who wants to get into radio, audio, this whole medium now has, which they can do so many exciting things with. Yes, I agree. Content creation, the possibilities mm. are just immense compared yeah. to the past. One follow-up question to that, are there opportunities for individuals who might go to work for the companies that are involved mm. with radio, iHeart you mentioned, the Odysseys of the world, mm. who aren't necessarily content creators, but could plug into those who are leading the way with where you see industry going, James. Yeah, I mean, I think any large company like the Audisys or the iHearts or the Hubbards of this world will always need people to do not just content, but also work on deals of where can we get our content? You know, iHeart Radio last year did a 
great and very clever deal with Hilton Hotels. So you get into your hotel, you you know open the door to your room f- for the first time, and there on the screen on the TV is on, and it'll say, hello, uh, hello, Jeff, thank you for staying with us. <laughs> and it'll be iHeartRadio, the iHeartRadio app, and you'll be able to find all kinds of stuff on there. Very clever way of getting content in front of a new audience. So there'll always be uh, companies that are doing that sort of thing. Automotive is very important for radio. And I think one of the things, one of the missed opportunities that radio has had over the last 20 years is, is that they haven't worked more closely with auto manufacturers to make sure that radio is a really good experience in car. I think that's now happening. I worked on a bit of technology a while ago now which uh, enables the in-car experience to be a much better in-car experience for radio listeners and thankfully is now you know, rolling out in a variety of different of different autos now. So, um, you know, you're getting a much better experience. But it's that sort of stuff that, you know, large broadcasters could be working on. But I also think, you know, we are seeing now more companion podcasts and companion audio shows around TV, around film. So there's just such a wide variety of different stuff that you can do, which isn't just content creation, although there'll never be a a shortage of that. Right. It's all very exciting. One last quick thing before we tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you. With TV, you have what I might refer to as franchises. People know CNN around the world. And radio doesn't seem to have that. You described it as being more local in nature. Mm. Do you see that changing where I don't know if they're radio networks we're talking about here, because there are radio networks, but maybe they're not so well-known around the world. BBC is certainly well-known. Do you foresee that there will be identities, franchises, with some of these radio-based organizations in the future? That is certainly happening, and there are some already. So you can listen to Virgin Radio in many different parts of the world, and all that Virgin Radio is, is it's essentially, it's, I mean, it's a great brand franchise, uh, the Virgin brand that Richard Branson has worked quite uh, cleverly on. In most parts of the world, it's a top 40 station, except if you're in the UK where it's a little bit different. So, you know, Virgin is a good example. NRJ is another example, which is a French brand, which is available in many different uh, parts of uh, Europe and in Canada as well. So there are some of these but there aren't that many. And I think particularly when you start looking at uh, the US, then you may find a Nash FM or a Jack FM in your uh, town, but that's about as far, you know, in terms of national brands as actually exist, with the exception, of course, of NPR. And NPR, to me, as a Brit, is incomprehensible. It isn't a radio station. It's a brand of more than a thousand member stations who take whatever it is that they want to take from NPR and broadcast it at whatever time that they want to broadcast it at. So as a result, if you want to listen to On The Media from NPR, then that may or may not be on your local NPR station. And who knows what time? It might be Wednesday afternoon. It might be uh, Saturday morning. It might be in the middle of the night on Tuesday. It makes it very difficult to market how how to listen 
so you end up with this you know hugely complicated thing so i think quite a lot of this comes down to brands and valerie geller who is a um, radio uh, consultant who I used to speak to, well, I, I still do speak to an awful lot, she pointed out, well, we don't have national radio brands in the US in terms of radio station, but we do have national radio brands in terms of personalities. So Ryan Seacrest is obviously a, a national radio brand, as was Howard Stern. And I can see a little bit of that, but I think that, um, you know, he helping people tune in, at least you know when The Late Show with Stephen Colbert is on, you know it's on CBS, you know it's on at uh, 11 o'clock at night, etc., etc. You can't say that about anything on NPR. <laughs> it just, uh, it's just very confusing. So yes, I'm sure that we'll see more branding in terms of that. I'm sure that we'll see more radio stations being savvier in terms of brand. And that's perhaps one of the big differences in North American radio to radio in other parts of the world in that I think we've probably got there in quite a lot of other parts of um, the world. So here in Australia, as one example, radio stations here used to use call signs. Call signs are a number and then uh, two or three uh, letters. So there's a radio station here, which which uh, is the number two station called 4KQ. Um, <laughs> no idea what uh, the K and the Q stand for, but nevertheless, that's how radio stations used to be branded here. Most of those radio stations now have realized that that's not a very clever way of branding yourself and that actually it makes more sense to use a national brand. And that national brand might be Triple M, which is a rock brand, or it might be the Hit brand, which is a national top 40 uh, station, or the Kiss brand, or whatever it happens to be. But actually just making sure that it's a national brand that listeners recognize, but more importantly, advertisers recognize as well. So that if you're buying nationally across Australia, as many advertisers want to, or buying nationally across a state, then you know what you're buying if you're buying Triple M. You don't know what you're buying if you're buying 4BO and 2FY and all, all these other weird, wonderful yes. um, airport code radio stations. So, you know, so I think I think we're seeing that happening in places like Australia. We've seen that happen in the in the UK. And my suspicion is that we will see rather more of that happening in the US as well. Well, this has been great, James. And one of the reasons why I really enjoy having you on is your global perspective, because coming from the United States, I don't have to tell you that we often think that we're way ahead of everybody in just about everything. <laughs> and the reality of it is sometimes we may be laggards when it comes to certain things. So it's good to have people like you who can shine a little light on that, that we've got some catching up to do as well. If you would let our listeners know how they could find out more about your work as a radio futurologist, one of only two in the world, people. He's got competition, so he's going to lower his fees now. Yeah. Your work as a consultant, as a speaker, of course, you can throw in your podcast, your Pod News newsletter, anything else you'd like to share. How do they find out about all this, James? So I write a weekly newsletter all about the radio uh, industry and international radio trends, so very much focused on interesting things that are happening across the world. You can find that at james.crid.land. That's a website address, james.crid.land. <laughs> and uh, that also has links to who I am and what I do. That's terrific. 
I didn't realize you actually had a radio newsletter. Yeah. I knew about the pod. That's great. I don't know how you have the time to track. You, you may recognize the look and feel of the uh, of my radio newsletters. <laughs> okay. It may look it may look vaguely familiar. Vaguely. Um, well, that's branding, yeah. James. That's branding, right? Yeah, well, that's probably it. But no, I mean, and actually, the reason why I got into doing a newsletter about podcasting is that I had done that newsletter, that weekly newsletter for, I've probably done it for about, he says, thinking, I've done it for at least, at least 18 years. So, uh, you know, so I was very aware of how to do it. It's got three and a half thousand people who get it every single week. It's nowhere near as large. You know, it was something that I knew how to do. But, you know, in there is all manner of sort of, you know, interesting stories, at least I hope, interesting stories about what's going on in the radio industry across the world and sort of interesting things that hopefully people can learn from and don't get too annoyed at my sarcastic comments. (laughs) It keeps things interesting. And I'm amazed, as we conclude this, with how you're able to track not just podcasting, which I find nearly impossible to keep on top of. But you also are doing radio. That's remarkable. I hope you sleep sometimes, James. I hope you do sleep. Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, thanks again so much for being an alum guest. And it's great to come back and all the success to your show as well. Thank you so much. This concludes part two of our two-part series on the radio industry's global trends, opportunities, and the future with our guest expert, James Cridland. If you have any questions you'd like to ask James or me, please contact me at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F, This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.